I'd like to introduce the lady sitting to my right as a person whose voice you may recognize, but you may not know her face. For more than 20 years, uh, the lady to my right has been a radio personality here in Whatcom County. Many of us would listen to her in the morning or we'd listen to her in the evening on our drive home. Would you please welcome to Christ the King this morning, Debbie Chavez, who's come to join me. Good to have you with us. So Debbie was a a fixture on the radio landscape for a long time. That's a good word. Okay. Oh, That's yeah. a good thing. It we depended on that. It sound like I'm ancient. Okay. There you go. Awesome. <laughs> Earlier this year, suddenly I went to work one morning and Debbie wasn't in her normal spot. Her voice was all of a sudden gone from the airwaves. The local papers picked up on a story and some of Debbie's life went very public, very fast. As happens with being a public figure, you don't have a private life. It just doesn't exist. And all of a sudden people had lots of opinions and and Debbie kind of just disappeared. She switched mediums from radio to internet and began to uh, a brand new show. And I listened to her very first show. And on that very first show, she did what we've been talking about over the last three weeks. To a group of people that she didn't even know, she confessed why she was no longer in her job. She used words like sin, affair. I mean, she just laid it all out there. And I kind of went, Wow. I mean, that takes a lot of courage to lay yourself out there. Um, Debbie, why don't you just tell us a little bit about the confession itself? Well, what I confessed uh, on the internet show was that um, about six years ago, at the end of a bad marriage, I made a really bad decision and I had an affair. And another term for that would be adultery. These are not nice words, uh, but that's what happened. And um, I broke that off thank God, uh, and God forgave me, and I, I was repentant and really dug into a brand new, better relationship with God, a more real relationship with God, and, and uh, he was just good to me, because he is good to sinners who repent, and um, fast forward about three years, got this uh, stirring, I think, from God to do a talk show on the radio station about God, which was wonderful to be able to do that. Uh, and maybe with a new heart towards people because I was no longer in the holier-than-thou position. Uh, I was able to kind of approach things differently, which was just wonderful. And then out of the blue, this last February, again, six years after this affair had ended and it was way behind me, uh, something strange happened. On Valentine's Day, this person that I had had the affair with, uh, who incidentally I supervised at the radio station, uh, sent an email to our corporate headquarters and said, this happened six years ago, and then made some other statements that were not true, but that part was true. And so they all, the mucky mucks flew out and confronted me, and it was a kind of a strange moment because actually it was her, his word against mine and there was not a shred of proof. Kind of a strange moment when you're faced with something like that where you can say, I don't know what you're talking about because there's no proof. But I just knew that that was not an option, that I needed to tell the truth. So I said, yep, that part's true. The other part isn't, but, but that part's true. And uh, they said, well, uh, that's, a, that's a company violation. You can't uh, date someone that you're supervising, and so we'll have to remove you from management. Most of my job was management at the station. And so I said, fine, I'll step down, but I'd like to keep that talk show about God. They didn't like that talk show about God so much. Uh, in fact, they really didn't like that show. And so they said, nope, we'll get rid of that too. And so I was done. So you 
change mediums, yes. start talking about what happened. Yes. And what I noticed when I heard your confession on the radio is I kept hearing the word, I did, my sin. I mean, you were owning it. I'm sure you were incredibly tempted at that moment to confess the sin of somebody else, but you didn't. Yes. You kept it about you. And there's something inside of us that often wants the justice part of it to come out. Oh, yeah. But you didn't go there. Why not? Why did you keep it about you? Well, first of all, because I'm only responsible for me. And God just reminded me that he is big enough to take care of everybody else. And I don't even know what's going on in everyone else's life and what prompts people to do the things they do. And so God just reminded me that uh, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, and that I could leave the other person totally with him. Also, when we tend to point at the other person, it's really a defense mechanism to say, don't look at what I did. Look at them. They must be, they're far worse than I am, which is really, well, it's a defense mechanism, but it's also kind of seeking revenge and God's not big on us seeking revenge again. He, al he always says, bless your enemies and bless those who persecute you. So that wasn't an option either. Um, and then I think if I would have kept on wanting to point out the other person and what they had done, which is our tendency so much of the time, when we just rehearse over and over again what they've done, the other party, it builds bitterness in our hearts. And I didn't want to be consumed by bitterness. So every time it would creep back in that, you know, I should expose what that person did. Um, I just, it's just like God reminded me, just leave it with me. I can take care of everybody else. So why not just let it slide? I mean, you kind of have a new start. You confessed it to God. And instead... You just broadcast your stuff to everybody that wants to listen at that particular time. Why, why not just let it fly under the radar? I felt really strongly about this part. Um, I've, I've learned to live a more transparent life in the last couple of years. Actually, after meeting my husband, Raul, uh, on our first date, he spent two hours telling me everything he had ever done wrong in his life. That was very overwhelming. <laughs> Yeah. No one does that, do they? Uh, but I came away the next day going, wow, how refreshing. I mean, there are going to be no skeletons popping out of this closet. I already know everything about this person. And if they're going to trust me with what they've done wrong, then I know that I can always trust they're going to tell the truth. And I thought, this is a good way to live, transparent. And so I've been trying to lead my life that way. So it seems so natural to be transparent about this as well. It also destroys Satan's schemes. And he just loves to keep stuff buried in the darkness. But again, then you have to fear these lurking skeletons will pop out later. So it was just refreshing to blow apart Satan's schemes and say, I'm bringing it into the light. You have no more, no more power against me. And I also wanted to tell the story because, again, in the past, in my earlier Christian years, I'd had the very holier-than-thou position. <laughs> I'd never done any of the big sins, you know. Uh, but when this happened, I felt like, oh, man, everyone can fall, and I have a new compassion for people who fall, and we all do. And I, and I wanted to let people know I understand what it's like to fall, and I wanted to point them to the Savior who offers such rich mercy and forgiveness and can take my mess and actually turn it into something beautiful. He's, he's good at that kind of stuff. Um, and I wanted to, this is kind of important, too. I, I just wanted the opportunity to say this, and, and I said this on the radio show, too, I learned something very important through this that I wanted to share. Satan is the father of lies and deception and illusion and delusion and all of that. And so he will often tempt you and say, the grass is greener on the other side. But it's not. That is such a lie. So don't fall 
for that life. Awesome. Thanks for sharing that. I appreciate it. So the title of the series is Confessions, The Joy and the Pain of Coming Clean. Yes. And I, got, I watched the pain because you're one of the people here. And I saw it yeah. I mean, etched on your yeah. face in the days that followed because yeah. everybody had an opinion. Oh, yeah. And, and lots of people um, had a hard time with it. I saw the pain part of it. What was, what was the joy of coming clean? Where did God put that in the midst of your story? You know, there was joy in coming clean. And I know that might seem kind of strange to most people, but it was very freeing, again, to know there are no skeletons in the closet that are going to pop out later. I am who I am. There are, there's nothing else hidden. Um, and I think, unless people were just lying to me, uh, I had a lot of people come up and say, how refreshing for someone to be honest and just say, say it how it is. I think we sometimes don't want to say the things that we've done wrong because we fear people won't love us anymore when they really find out who we are. But that was not my experience. My kids reaffirmed their love for me. Uh, you know, my friends were just extremely loving. It was, it was actually a good experience, believe it or not. Which is incredible because that's the promise God gives us. He doesn't say it'll be easy, but he says it's worth it. It took a lot of guts to come and sit up here and lay her stuff out there all over again. I'm deeply appreciative. Her family was in the last service, so she got over that hurdle, and she's got one more to go. Can we say thanks to Debbie for just coming and sharing with us this morning? Thank you. I wrote this message on Wednesday, not really knowing what God would do with the rest of the week. I wrote it and, and didn't really know the content because I only came back to it yesterday afternoon because it was pretty much uh, emotionally spent after the last part of this past week. In order to get beyond the pain of confession, Debbie, just like all of us, had to make a really rough step. She actually had to swallow her pride. And that's a hard thing. Pride keeps us from being real with other people. Pride often keeps us from confessing to somebody or to God, and, and sometimes it keeps us from receiving the confession as well. It's a bitter pill to swallow. This is a 20 milligram pill of a drug called prednisone. I was on this drug for more than two weeks as a part of a regimen that my doctor had me on, and then I had to wean myself off of it because it's so unbelievably powerful. It doesn't look like very much, does it? It's tiny, it's small, it's round. It's a pretty salmon pink color. I mean, it looks like it would be a happy pill. This is an evil pill. It's an evil pill because I had to live with it. I started taking it and it made me angry. While I was on it, people would walk past me in the hallways of Christ thinking and they'd go, hi, Grant. And I'd walk five, pa five, five paces past and go, hey, Grant. <laughs> For no reason whatsoever. I would drive down the Guide Meridian on my way home and I would think to myself, I wonder what would life would be like if I could mount a gun on the front of my car and just take people out because I could. I mean, this little tiny pill frustrated me, drove me crazy. Traffic circles made me want to commit murder. I mean, they were just, it was an ugly spot to be. I didn't sleep for days. My children and my wife kind of went into hiding. They just disappeared for a little while. My skin was hot. I have no idea why, but it felt like while I was on this little pill, it felt like my neck was growing. It was weird. I mean, it was just plain weird. This little pill seemed to steal who I was as a person. 
I mean, I'm fairly mellow. I like people. I enjoy what I do. And yet suddenly, instead of laughing like I normally do, I am wicked to the core. I mean, I want to hurt people for no apparent reason. The pill of pride is kind of like this. It doesn't seem very big. It doesn't seem like it's going to affect you very much. But if we're not careful with the pill of pride, it will steal our ability to confess before God and other people as well. We see an example of, of what happens when we swallow the pill of pride in Luke chapter 18. The Bible starts off by saying this. Jesus said to some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everybody else, Jesus told a parable. Let's stop there for a second. Jesus has a target in this story. The target is people who believe that they have arrived. That's who the target is. Like Jack Bauer with a sniper rifle, Jesus decides he's going to send a very clear message to those people who think that they are so righteous and so spiritual that they don't have any need for confession anymore. They believe they have their act together. Thank you very much. Jesus is speaking to the ultra-religious, the theological neatniks, the gatekeepers who love to stand at the doors of churches and scan people from the top of their head to the bottom of their feet. And then as the person walks by, they say something like this. Hmm. Ever met somebody like that? Hmm. To those who look down their noses at the normal and dirty people, Jesus goes on and he tells a story. It says this, two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself. God, I thank you that I am not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all I get. Let's stop there for a moment. The Pharisee's not a bad guy. Religion has served him very, very well. He has a nice, tidy world. If this guy was running for office, you'd probably vote for him. I mean, he just seems like a good person. His life is nice, tidy, clean, and wonderful. Our first clue that things are not always as they appear is found in the word about. It's, the Bible says he prayed about himself. I spent the better part of a day tearing apart the etymology of all of these different words. The best translation I can come up with is this. This guy prayed about himself and to himself. He just invited God Almighty to listen in because he just thinks he's that good. And he prays, God, I'm glad I'm not like that guy or those people. And in the tragedy of his confession, we see some things from the Pharisee. The first thing we see is the sin of pride. Let's be honest. The sin of pride doesn't seem like a very big deal, does it? It just doesn't. Dr. Haddon Robinson says that pride is a lot like acne. It's disturbing but not fatal. You get that? You know, everybody can see it, but it's not really fatal. It doesn't affect you deeply. It doesn't appear to be a major league infraction until we see that God does not receive this man's confession because of it. I've said it here before. I'll say it again. When pride walks onto a stage, Jesus just walks off. And the Pharisee here believes that he's doing all the right things. The problem is he is. He's doing all the right things for all of the wrong reasons. And because of that, he believes that he is secure. And for all of us that believe that we're just fine, it's never going to be us on the other end of a confession. That, that, that's for somebody else other than ourselves. To those of us who believe that, 1 Corinthians 10 sounds an alarm and says, so if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. 
Secondly, we see the compromise of comparison. This guy makes himself feel better by looking at the shortcomings of others. He says it, God, I'm glad I'm not like that guy. You know, and we kind of look down our noses at him because we think, oh boy, what a terrible prayer. And in doing so, guess what? You just became that guy. As soon as we look down our noses at somebody else, we realize that we're infected by this. And we know we're infected by it because we hear ourselves say it. I wish I had that guy's car. I wish I had that guy's wallet. I wish I had that guy's girl. I wish I had that guy's triceps. I wish I had that guy's job or that guy's position or that guy's phone. And we get caught in the compromise of comparison. You know, let me tell you something about comparing. When you compare down, it's pride. When you compare up, it's envy. I think God's trying to send us a message about comparison. He's got us both ways. It's the compromise of comparison. And then thirdly, we see the tragedy of spiritual trophies. Do you see the trophies that he holds up before God as if to try and impress his Savior? He holds up his moral standing, his religious practice, and his tithing record. None of those three things is bad, unless, of course, that's all your faith is. When we turn them into a religious trophy, something happens to this man's confession. I use two words to describe it. His confession was ineffective and it was wasted. It's pretty bold language. See, but there's another man in the story. He stands off to the side because he doesn't believe he belongs anywhere near the nice, tidy people. He's a tax collector. He's a professional extortionist. He lies for a living. He takes advantage of everyone that he can. He probably doesn't belong in church with all the nice people, but he's there anyway. His prayer isn't very flowery. In fact, it's really, really short. I find it interesting that they're both praying to the same God. His confession contains a a comparison too, but it doesn't involve anyone other than God himself. Luke 18, 13, Jesus continues the story. He says, but the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but he beat his breast and said, God have mercy on me, a sinner. He can't even lift his eyes up. He's that broken. He's not proud. He doesn't even really want to talk about himself, but he knows he's got to get real. He has to make a confession because God's not surprised by his confession in that moment. And inside of his prayer, we see some things. The first thing we see is the beauty of humility. This man is low. He is low. He he needs a touch from God. He needs to be cleansed. James chapter 4 says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. It also says, "Humble humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. My friends, confession comes from a low place, from the bottom of your soul, from the broken heart, right at the base. That's where confession comes from. Dr. Haddon Robinson, one of my favorite preachers, he says, when you really see God, you really see yourself. When you see yourself, you see your sin. And when you see your sin, you cry out for grace and forgiveness and you receive it. I love this. He says, the saint is always more aware of his need for God than his successes in God. Always more aware of how far he has to go than how far he's come. We see the beauty of humility in this man. Secondly, we see the power of a three-word confession. Do you see his confession at the end of his statement? Me, a sinner. That's a confession. Me, a sinner. 
But those of us who know Jesus, may we never forget that His confession is the starting point for all of us and that none of us in this room ever outgrow our need for grace and for forgiveness. Me, a sinner. That needs to be my confession every single day. But what's cool is this. It doesn't need to stop there because there is truth in that statement. I'm a sinner, me a sinner, but me a sinner saved by grace. Me a sinner turned from a broken man into a warrior for God. Me a man who learns every single week the new identity that I have in Christ, that the power of sin over me has been broken and that I can make a decision every single day to live in God's grace and his mercy or to live on my own. My friends, today every one of us has that confession, but let's not stop too short. Not me a sinner, me a sinner saved by grace. That's us. And thirdly, the blessing of mercy we see in him. It's, don't you love what his appeal is? He, appeal, he doesn't appeal for status. He doesn't appeal for blessing. He appeals for mercy. And because he asks for mercy, his confession is different in this way. It is both received and he walks away justified. Can you imagine... The group of people gathered around Jesus that day. I mean, he's got a target and he has, they probably got to the end of the Pharisee prayer and went, yeah, good on you, brother. That's a good prayer right there. I'm glad you're not like the rest of them too. And then Jesus throws the tax collector in the mix. And he says to everybody listening, I don't want you to be like that guy. I want you to be like that guy. Luke 18, 14, Jesus goes on. He says, I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Let me paraphrase the whole story for you. Two guys. Two choices. Two confessions. Two prayers, two pasts, two presents, and two stories. Two requests made, but only one gets heard. One Savior with one gift, and the gift for the humble man is forgiveness. So here we are at the end of confessions, the joy and pain of coming clean. We've confessed before God. We've walked up to the front of a church and filled out a confession card and left it with Jesus. We've we've learned that there's only one fitting response for us when it comes to a confession, and that's forgiveness. And yet there's still something inside of every one of us that tends to look at whoever it may be in front of us. Maybe it's Debbie and we kind of look at her story and go, oh boy, am I ever glad I'm not that person. Or maybe we look at the guy up front with the microphone and we make some judgments about his soul or maybe his character and way down in the bottom of our heart, we think to ourselves, "I'm, I'm glad I'm not like that guy. And in comparing and judging, 
We get to the end of two confessions. And if we decide that somehow we're justified in making that judgment, you know what just happened? You just became that guy. And God says there's a better way. What have we learned over the past four weeks? We've learned that God is light and in Him there is no darkness at all. We've learned that God loves the light and He wants His children to dance in the light of confession with Him. We've learned that God wants us to confess to Him first. Not that we're going to shock Him with anything that comes out of our mouth because He already knows all your stuff. We've learned that God wants us to go one step further to go public with our confession so that we can be healed. Before you do that, before you just open up a hand grenade and throw it into the life of your spouse or in the middle of your family, can I encourage you to seek out the counsel of a godly person who knows their Bible, who can walk with you through that process so that you don't cause more damage than you need to when you come clean? We've learned that, that people can hear our confession but only God can wipe your heart clean. Only Jesus can deliver you and wash you whiter than snow. That's not for any human being to do. We've learned that forgiveness is the dream outcome of any confession. We've learned that we're supposed to confess our own sin, not the sin of anybody else. And that's hard. We've learned that, that sometimes we're called to receive a confession. And when we receive a confession, God has only given us one solitary option in response. And that is to forgive as God in Christ forgave you. Finally, we've learned that confession begins and ends with humility. It ends with humility because the only thing that's good in any of us. It's Jesus. Pride doesn't seem like that big of a deal. But it can steal our ability to confess before God or to receive the broken confession of another human being. May God allow us to be humble people who love irrationally even when we feel like we shouldn't. May God always allow this to be a safe place where Pharisees struggle but where broken tax collectors just like me find mercy, forgiveness for the past, and hope for the future. Would you pray with me this morning as we close? God, this has been an interesting journey. Thank you for hijacking this series and taking it in a completely different direction than I thought we were going to go. God, I pray that you would hijack our series more often. Because when you're in the middle of it, it just all seems to make sense. God, would you humble us as a people? 
Would you help us to make the confession? Me a sinner. But may we attach another confession to it this morning. The confession that declares to Whatcom County, me a sinner, but Jesus saves. So God, as we walk in your truth and claim your promises, we live under the banner of 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, you are faithful and will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We live under the banner of James chapter 5, which says that we are to confess our sins to each other and pray for each other so that we can receive the healing that only comes from Jesus. God, it doesn't make sense in a world of cover-ups to be people of truth, but we walk under that banner today. Would you continue to work on us from the inside out? And may your name be glorified and praised as we obediently follow you through the waters of confessions. The joy and the pain of coming clean. And we pray these things in your precious, holy and forgiving name. Amen. And amen.